You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harm, the host for this episode. I'm joined by my friend, Brent Bergerm. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well, Jeff. It's uh, just kind of amazing how both busy it feels and how protractedly long things seem to be taking as well. So, uh, but doing good uh, overall, for sure. Yeah, we, we were talking just briefly before we started the show that for me, um, I'm, I count myself extremely fortunate, very blessed to have the situation I have. Uh, my workload's increased. Like we got some government stuff headed our way from the stimulus things that are happening at my company. Wow. Anyway, it, it, my workload is just massively increased. And I, I'm trying to also produce like Lightroom training at the same time. That's kind of new and, and do the podcast. And yeah, I just, I don't have enough hours in the day. So <laughs> it's, it's yeah, been a challenge for me. Yeah, getting stretched thin. Because, you know, I've I've increased my efforts with Latitude a little bit as well. And then with the university going fully online, when this all thing, when this all hit, we were initially looking at coming back April 27, and that's in just a few days from now. And a week and a half or so ago, they said, no, we're going to do the whole quarter. And so I then yeah. went and rewrote some assignments, reconfigured my schedule, and I'm producing so much video. <laughs> wow. It's it's almost funny um, how much I'm doing. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm loving it. It's Everything is good. It's, it's really good good it's just a huge shift yeah that um mostly i guess i would say i was prepared for because i have everything that to do it it's right. just that mind shift what you need to do in your mind to change to that type of of production and what you're doing and uh yeah so i think finally by this week i feel like I'm almost like a, a just a machine, just kind of finally got everything pumping and everything's going really mostly good. So mm -hmm. that's that's really nice. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get in. Let's get into the show. <laughs> let's get going. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk about the Canon R5 today, and we haven't talked about new equipment for a while. So and and this one's just kind of. It's really taking the the rumors combined with a little bit of official news that came out yesterday as we're recording, um, make it so that we can, we, I, I think it's interesting we should talk about. But before we do that, I wanted to briefly give kind of my twenty April 2020 updates from Adobe because Adobe's put out a whole bunch of releases of software. And I'm going to, I don't go through all of it. Like I don't go through Premiere Pro and tell you whether that's something to use or not even though I'm kind of getting into that now and, and figuring out if it is. But what for Photoshop and Lightroom, that's where I, I keep the focus on my software update status. Uh, I still do not recommend Photoshop 21.1. It's uh, been, they've had three, well, I guess it's two update releases now since then. And uh, it's it's still struggling. It's still got a problem. Uh, I made sure to connect with Greg Benz, uh, who creates that Lumendia extension. And Greg uses Photoshop harder than I know, anyone else I know. And uh, he still has in the latest patch release. So he's, he's working with Adobe. He's told them about the issues that it's causing his extension. And a lot of other extensions builders are having trouble with it too and it's just it's not working well i highly recommend you do not use 21.1 point anything 21101 <laughs> or two all three of them are bad versions that um that adobe is struggling mightily with this one so stay with uh, with photoshop 21.1 and and just stay there okay anyway there's a there's a link in the the software update status over at PhotoTaco for that information. Lightroom Classic, on the other hand, 9.2, got this PhotoTaco Silver approval a while ago, and they released a minor update, 9.2.1, that looks pretty good. In fact, it looks like they have addressed a couple of issues that have come up at, out of 9.2. They did have some regression on some bugs they fixed in 9.1. And they fixed that in 9.2.1. I can't give my uh, seal of approval yet, though, because it's just been a little... It hasn't been quite enough time. I want to wait at least a week, and I'm glad I did because some reports have popped up in the forums. 
of people having some challenges like the uh, cursor disappearing doing spot removal in some cases and some stuff like that so i don't recommend doing it yet um but we'll we'll keep a close eye on that and i'll let you know as soon as i have that reviewed and, and feel like it's good to go um okay so canon r5 brent what have you heard about this camera yeah this thing uh you know, it's kind of funny. The The first time I saw a few headlines, I was almost surprised because over the last couple of announcements from Canon, people like to have just gone and say, meh, or, you know, they're making fun of it or whatever. And for some reason in this model, they're, people are respecting it or they're just saying, you know, kudos, way to go. And certainly most notably, it's about that 8K video recording without any crop factor on the on the right. full frame sensor so that's something that especially for video producers is pretty exciting it feels like there's been a little bit of a transition now the the 5d release maybe felt the same back when that happened but it feels like this is catering way more to video than anything else <laughs> uh, you know, completely 100 percent. and while i really like a lot of the specs that are in here i still just have to say you know, for myself, someone who's, yeah, I, I like to do some videos, of course. I'm not a videographer. I'm not a cinematographer right. kind of a thing. And so these things are all great and everything. But for my particular work, it's just not something that right now anyway, you know, I'm, I'm feeling super excited about. I mean, I'm excited they're doing it 100%. It's just for my work. It's just like, ah, uh, you know, yay, but... Now, one thing that I did think about, too, is if I were shooting, let's say, their 8K RAW mm -hmm. at almost 30 frames per second, 29.97 frames per second, and I was able to do a, a frame grab out of that and right. still have the raw data, that could be pretty exciting, too, because that's basically taking it from the whole from the whole sensor. So that, I think, could be pretty exciting. But I'm, I'm still just, yeah, I just don't know how it would fit into my workflow, but it's still a really awesome piece of equipment to be talking about it is and i don't i think some of the still image specs are yet to come or be confirmed is, is really maybe why i feel like there's such an emphasis on video they they yeah. had a live stream of a corporate event which normally would have been the whole like chance to wine and dine everyone and bring them out to a an event but of course the, you can't do that these days so they had an online event and it was really really focused on on media on movies and even higher end stuff like they spent a bunch of time on their their uh, movie cameras and their cine lenses and so it was it was a an event very much focused on that sort of thing so of course that's the part of the r5 that they talked about and confirmed and we'll run through those specs uh like you i am not much of a videographer <laughs> i do want to do more with it and i'm super excited at the potential of having a, a camera that I'll have to, to do 4K that's not my phone. <laughs> my phone can do 4K, uh, but I assume that there's going to be big advantages there. So like right now, if I'm going to create video of me where I need to be in the video, I would prefer using my phone over my Canon camera because it just doesn't have high enough resolution to be able to support what I want to do. So that it is exciting to me. I don't need 8K, but um, having yeah. it having it be kind of future proofed a little bit, um, or it, really, actually, the thing that's most exciting to me is that maybe the 4K is going to work like really, really well compared to other things because they reached for H 8K. Um, so let, let's run through those specs. Th these are confirmed yeah. specs. These are confirmed things that uh, Canon directly unveiled in their video that they had of, of that event, the online event. So let's run through them. And Brent, you know, let me know if there's something you want to talk about here. But the first one is 8K RAW internal video recording up to 30 frames a second. 8K internal video recording up to 30 frames a second in 422 10-bit Canon log. So that's interesting that there's a distinction between those two things. Um, well, tell me, what, what do you think is the difference there? Why, did, why are there separate line items between those well, two things? Yes, 
Good, good question here, I think. And this is where, again, both of us aren't being super deep into the video scope no, right. of things. You know, it's possible that we're going to get a few of these tidbits of details a little bit askew or not 100% accurate. But it would seem to me that for a raw recording, you know, that's just simply like your you're talking about your raw data like yeah. you have with a still frame, whereas these other items, it's talking about the quality of the processed image. And that's almost what every single other camera does. Whenever you're recording a video, you're recording it either in an MOV file or in the MP4 file yeah. format. And so it's creating its own JPEG type quality conversion as it's doing it and saving those out on the fly. Whereas that 8K RAW, that's like a whole nother all by itself. Right, right. You need a very special processor, you know, lots of computer power to to decode that and to make sense of all of that. So the fact that we have two line items here makes sense. The thing that I actually don't um I don't understand is when you go further in that line item of 8K internal recording video 422 10-bit Canon log, then we have another one that says 422 10-bit HDRPQ. So there's obviously some type of HDR algorithm that's going on that's going to take that raw data and apply it to the standard file format that it's going to bring. Now, the 422, it stands for the type of color bit, the depth that you have. And so then they, you know, define it with 10-bit a little bit later on in the in the item. You have just crazy big color space going on. Right. And, and that certainly is cool. And so we like to see that because when we're in post-production we can do the process they call color grading or otherwise just, you know, color corrections. And you've got lots of flexibility to do standard color corrections in a standard video editor. So I, I watched the event. Um, I didn't watch every bit of it because the first, it was like an hour long event and the first 45 minutes or 50 minutes was the other stuff. All of those, uh, <laughs> the C300 cameras and the, their, their movie cameras and their cine lenses and, and stuff like that. Stuff I'm not at remotely interested in. And it's all stuff that's intended for like commercial projects. This is right. $10,000 video cameras <laughs> and broadcast cameras and so on. So really cool stuff I have zero interest in because I will never exactly. get behind any of that. So so I, I, I don't waste any of my time on it. I saw at one point in it, and because I watched it kind of so scattered, just trying to find where was it, they talked about the R5. I can't remember if it was directly related to the R5 or not, but I'm going to mention it here with the HDR. I think it was associated at the same thing where the sensor has two diodes per pixel that it's not only used for autofocus, but it's used, they can, uh, in the HDR mode, they're going to capture at exactly the same moment they're going to capture a two different dynamic ranges an hdr kind of thing even for video so you can have the shadows cap you know one <laughs> diode capturing for the shadow and another diode capturing for the highlights and it instantly merges them and puts it into the video files so that it's all there so so we're not sharing video in this in this uh, chat call that we have on Skype. As you're saying that, you didn't see the really big smile that started coming on my face because <laughs> that's just really I've been really waiting and wanting that. And if if they can deliver that, also it would make sense that they can deliver that tech in the still images too. Ah, oh, right. Th this is this is going to be groundbreaking. Yeah, I think it was associated. With, now it's totally possible that was associated with another camera they were going through because they went through lots of yeah. them. So <laughs> I, I wish we'll I would cross our fingers, rewatch the video, and made sure before we did the recording. But I, yeah, if it is associated with that, that's they definitely said that technology is available in one of their cameras. I'm pretty sure it was in the R5. And they pointed out for things like because it is taken that at exactly the same moment, there's no artifacting, there's no like weird uh, edges on things where something kind of barely moved in the millisecond difference there was in trying to take like alternating frames or something like that. It's it's totally seamless because it's at precisely the same moment that they're capturing these things. And uh, so it's, it's pretty cool that that, if I'm remembering it right, <laughs> that it's that way. Yeah. All right, that, let's move that would on be to amazing because Fuji eons ago 
experimented with that idea where they had two different sized pixels. I think it was the in their FinePix S1 Pro. And that, it, again, if I'm wrong on the exact model, um, they they had a decent implementation of that, but you know if if that's something that uh, their Canon is able to just take it you know all the way, uh, boy that that would just really float my boat. I would love to see uh, stuff like that. Okay, yeah, okay. So it, it, just moving on, same same. Uh, the next line item is 4K, and this is where I'm kind of excited about it because, like I said, I maybe the 8K, maybe they're even going to have like heat problems or. Maybe there'll be challenges with it. Who knows? It seems yeah. like a massive reach compared to other stuff that's available. But maybe that's going to mean the 4K is going to be just rock solid. I, mm-hmm. I hope that's true. And it's so 4K internal video recording up to 120 frames a second. 422 10-bit analog. Same HDR option that's available. Also 4K external recording available. So that's interesting. There's not a note on the 8K stuff that the external is going to be available. So, right. um, And if you do external... It's going to go 60 frames a second. Uh, no crop on either the 8K or 4K. 4K, So it's going to use the full width of the sensor. Can't use the full height because the aspect ratio is wrong. But the right. full width of the sensor. Uh, dual pixel CMOS AF available. So not only those dual diodes for the separate uh, you know, shadow and highlight information, but dual pixel AF in while you're recording. Canon log available in 8K and 4K inter- internal recording modes. And as a Canon first, the EOS R5 will feature, and this is, I'm excited for the still potential here, five axis yeah. in-body image stabilization, which works put, uh, in conjunction with optical IS equipped lenses from, for many of the RF and EF lenses. So they said many there, that's interesting. <laughs> we may not have all RF and EF lenses. Uh, and maybe that note is in there for third-party lenses potentially that are uh, the RF mount, or sorry, the EF mount that may not work with it. Who knows? But well, there was a time. Oh shoot, I can't remember how long ago now. Five to seven years ago, they did have a shift in their image t- uh, stabilizing technology, and they went from basically what they've called version one to version two. So I could see it potentially only working with the version two uh, right. items, right. but. Uh, Still, there's most of the lenses are definitely in that version two nowadays. Right. So I would see if if they can get it to work out, it'll, it'll be with a version two at least. Yeah. So very cool image stabilization in the new R5 yeah. confirmed. It's there, and dual car slots confirmed. One is CF Express and one is SD. What do you think of that, Brent? What do you think of that dual card slot? Well, that would totally be a laughing stock if they didn't do it. Right. But also with that 8K video, uh, I imagine that's what they're using the CF Express for because right. Right. I don't see, even at the UHS-2 on SD cards, uh, it, it just doesn't seem like SD could handle it. And I know that CFX, that CF Express is pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. If I remember right, they actually directly addressed that in the video saying the 8K is only possible on CF Express. Yeah. So you can go 4K, but maybe not even the 120. I think it was 4K60 on the SD card or something like that. I can't remember for sure on the 4K, but um, why not two CF Expresses, you think? Yeah, that's a good question. And I can certainly understand the need or the desire to have some kind of backward compatibility with what or not backward compatibility, but just greater compatibility with what pretty much everyone else uses these days. But um, yeah, going with two CF Express and maybe even having one SD would have been fine too, (laughs) to have three cards in it. But then that would have certainly been overkill. Um, But at least they got the two in there and, and we've got the opportunity for... For if you want to go dual card slots, you know, getting two copies of your stuff, that's going to certainly be possible. But yeah, you just need that for the for the 8K. And one interesting thing too on not being able to output the 8K is that something that HDMI can even handle? Uh, yeah, I don't as, know. Uh, because question. I know HDMI certainly is, is capable of 4K. I just I'm not sure if H, the HDMI um, codec or whatever you want to call it is possible to uh, transfer 8K levels of of video information yeah i don't i don't know either it's a good question it that may be part of the challenge is the the hdmi port doesn't support it that's because totally the 8k is i was reading it they were saying it is four times the pixel dimension of the 4k <laughs> and so that's where you know what they're probably doing is they're just averaging down to 4k uh that that full information they're just 
averaging it down to 4K, which I would think would make it, you know, super high quality 4K. Um, so that would be four times the amount of data going through <laughs> right. that 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 HDMI pipe, and that I could see that being a problem. And that's crazy the amount of data is there. It makes me oh, wonder yes. too, like <laughs> CF Express cards. How big are these things? Because oh. you know, are you going to get like four minutes of video and you fill up 128 gig? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know right. what the, the data rates are, so I couldn't tell you. But that seems like it would be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know the, the quick search shows me uh, at BNH, you know, a two fifty six gigabyte card yeah. of CS Express is four hundred dollars. Wow! And you know, you go on up to five twelve or six hundred dollars. <laughs> it's a little out of yours and mine. Uh, what we're normal to, what we're used to, I should right, say. Right, right. It was normal for us. And honestly, it's part of the reason. Only part. There's other factors, but. Part of the reason I don't do much video is just the storage requirements. Oh man, yeah. And processing requirements are so yeah. much bigger than stills. And I just have way more interest in stills. It's what I have the most fun with. Um, yeah. So, but I, you know, I'd like to get into video more. I just, I don't really have the time for it. Really, <laughs> really. That's that's what it comes down to is is just having the time for it. So, and I'm, I'm kind of being forced into it since I'm working on sure. these tutorials that I'm I want to. I want to put out. Uh, it's going to be a thing, and I'll tell you about the tutorial I'm working on at the end of the show. Okay, let's go. Sure. Let's go through some rumors. Yeah, stuff that's not confirmed <laughs> from Sony or from Canon. Sorry, from Canon. Um, the first one is the rumor, and I think this is pretty confirmed. Like it's very solid. I think Canon rumors rated this as a like almost confirmed. You know, the the very next the next level down from confirmed is uh, a 12 frame per second mechanical. And 20 frames per second electronic rate. So, what do you think of those? That spec. Yeah. So these would be on the the, the stills, the stills. shooting, right, right? And certainly that's absolutely 100 respectable. Yes. Uh, because you know e- either way you're going, I just if you're gonna if you're complaining about 20, just shoot your 8K raw video, <laughs> and <laughs> right. you get your 30. And and you're taken care of. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna crop out your tops and bottoms a little bit on top and bottom of the frame, right. but otherwise you have your faster frame rate. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I I love that frame rate. That frame rate would be phenomenal for me. Yeah. Um, now, have you noticed? I know that there's been a little bit of R6 specs leaked too. I, I did look at the R6, okay. and they basically have the same. Uh, I, I saw that it was the same idea on the electronic frame rate. I don't recall what it was on the mechanical frame rate okay. for the R6, but it's also only 20 megapixels is what it's right. also rumored to be for the R6. Right. And R5 was it? Oh, boy. See, I don't have that one written down. I didn't go pull that one. Was it a 45? Oh, it was 47. I think they said 47. They're looking at around 47, 47 because that's what it would need to be for that 8K to be full frame across exactly. the whole. Doing the math, they came up yeah, with. Yeah, like doing wasn't... the math, it would have to be a roughly 47 megapixels on the still side. Uh, and they're cropping out a few megapixels on top and bottom for right. the 16 by 9 format. So not confirmed, but you can do the math based on what they yeah. said was there from the video side. And uh, we get to 47 megapixels on the R5, and 20 was is the rumor on its little brother, the R6. Uh, okay, so scroll wheel added to the back. So um, <laughs> in the R, they they did an experiment. They had that touch sensitive slider thing on the back of the camera yeah. by your where your right thumb is supposed to go up and hit that, and and then the idea being like it's context sensitive. Depends on what what shooting mode you're in and and what you're doing with the camera that little slider does different things and it sounds like and i i am kind of glad maybe it's i'm an old dog and this is a new trick but <laughs> but this i'm glad for the scroll, scroll i love the scroll wheel i love how that works on my 7d mark ii yeah and i think they even said the little joystick dealy bop was going to come back too so it's going to be very familiar if you're a 7d mark ii shooter it doesn't have the joystick i think it does um, but the 5D Mark IV does uh-huh. as well. And right. so you have both the scroll wheel and the little joystick dealy. And that's, I, I like, certainly like that. It's just 
well, it, it's that all that muscle memory is already built in, and yeah, so yeah. you know, you just move into this camera with pretty much zero problems, right? Okay, and then the live view movie toggle, like the previous EOS DSLRs, and I don't know exactly what that means. I can't remember what they did with the EOS R with that, but something similar where it's like they they tried a different button system there for that, and they're going back. <laughs> yeah, it's probably just another memory, you know, muscle memory type thing right, because. Right. It's you know having that little switch. I don't. Know, it's there's nothing wrong with it, and for them to mess with it, yeah, didn't right. need that. I mean, I kind of applaud them for giving something a try. The EOS R was a you know a dip of their toe in the water of mirrorless, so they sort of had the opportunity to be able to do like, okay, let's let's try some things. Let's see if it works. And now as they're building like their real version of the mirrorless camera, this is their serious entry into the market like yeah. really serious. Uh, now they're like, no, no, <laughs> that that definitely did not prove out to be something people preferred. Let's go back to what everyone knows. That's going to help sell this R5 much better. Yep. Yep. All right, larger capacity battery, but it looks like the LPE6. So they're, the guess right now is they've managed to get the battery to have more capacity, but be the same physical size as the LPE6 which is interesting, and I like that. I really like this because if it means that I can use the LPE6 model battery in this camera, I you know, wouldn't get the same life out of it. Right, but right. I, I've got you know how many batteries from my 5D4 that I can just plop right in here. And then you know the, the 6D uh, use the same battery. I presume the 6D Mark II does, the 7D Mark II does. So all these batteries are out there, and if we can just reuse them in this camera, right? Uh, that you know makes a lot of sense too. And you may have chargers that could be used, but with higher capacity, maybe they won't. I don't know. We'll have to see how that comes yeah, out. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Built-in five gigahertz Wi-Fi. What do you think of that one, Brent? Well, with their recent announcement of image.canon uh-huh. uh, i guess i'm not surprised uh, i imagine the five gigahertz that's supposed to get us a little bit faster speed uh-huh. uh, so if you have your you know in-home wi-fi or your at-work wi-fi that's capable of the five gigahertz then you might be able to take advantage of that faster speed but getting these massive files up to their system what they're trying to do with image.canon is just have a service that's kind of i view it kind of like Apple does with their photos app and and the um and the iCloud storage that you have there where it automatically will if you tell it to it'll automatically upload to the cloud and then you can share it amongst all your devices really easily. Right. And so that's what Canon's trying to do. So this gives you a little bit faster access to that and so I think it makes a lot of sense to go that route, but that's not probably a service that I would find myself using. I would use the Wi-Fi for controlling the camera with my cell phone, but that's about it. I'm not personally a fan of these these big um, these these big cloud storage you know services that the companies are offering. Yeah, if it was if that's the only reason to do this, then I wouldn't be that wouldn't be a big deal to me either because you'd you'd probably end up having to pay for additional storage. There's be a certain small amount of free storage, and that always becomes a problem for me really really yeah. fast. Like I can't I already pay for other cloud storage. There's no way right. I'm gonna go pay for more cloud storage from Canon. Uh, now, right. maybe in a commercial sense that helps, but me as a hobbyist, there's no way that makes sense. But I'm still excited about this feature, and here's why. I have been on the last, I don't know, 10 or so client shoots that I've done, I've incorporated my iPad into the process where you know I do senior shoots, I do family shoots. I'm always showing, I, have, I put the iPad in mom's hands as we're shooting, and she can watch as we shoot and look at the images. And mom is the one that you really have to please. <laughs> Dad almost never cares. And, uh, you know, the senior themselves, they'll, they'll have an opinion, but it's mom's opinion that matters. She's writing the check. So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I put it in mom's hand and mom will say to, you know, the, the person I'm, I'm taking the photos of what to do. Like, that's not a real smile. Do this or sit up straighter or whatever. Nice. And yes. I don't even have to. And then mom's getting the picture she wants. And she's seeing them. And I explain everything like, hey, you know, don't worry about like, you know, the exposure exactly or the color or just focus on their their pose and their smile. I will take care of the rest 
you know, as, as we get these images. And they're all been very cool with that. And they've actually loved the experience of being able to do this. So the way I make this happen is you enable Wi-Fi on the camera, and in the Canon 80D is the one I'm using for this mostly, um, then it's built in, it has 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi, it creates its own signal, the iPad connects to that Wi-Fi, and then you use an app called Canon Connect to be able to look at the images and show them. Well, um, if I shoot JPEG plus RAW, then the JPEG is what gets transferred over that Wi-Fi connection, and it, it actually comes in fairly fast. It's like five seconds or so delay before they'll see the image that I just took. Um, if we improved the signal from 2.4 to 5 gigahertz, you get a speed improvement and that would go much faster and be like nearly instantaneous, I would think, to be able to do that. And still not with the raw files, but if I shoot JPEG plus raw, which is no big deal, then um, then that JPEG can get shipped across like really fast over that 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. And I'm so excited at <laughs> the prospect of that. Um, I hope they work on the app a little bit. Like right now, if the iPad goes to sleep, uh, you know, the screen turns off or they close yeah. the, the case on it, it all disconnects and it's a massive pain to get, get it reconnected. I, I hate that. So I hope that's also improved, but I'm way excited about the potential for 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi built into these cameras. It'd also be great if they could do that same kind of convenience uh you know for wireless tether tethering to the computer sure and sure. that's where you could transfer your raws uh, or, or even open up transferring raws to the iPad because you know the iPad can tra- can process those raws with a various number of editors so maybe they're thinking about opening up that option of also transferring the raws to the iPad and that would be a wonderful use case for sure for 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 selling for this is a selling point, especially for for portrait shooters, wedding shooters, whatever. Right, and and it does already today with the two point four gigahertz. I it will send the raw, and then the iPad like strips the JPEG out of the raw to be able to show you the image. And that's I just shoot JPEG plus raw to improve the performance sure. of it right now. So okay, yeah. So that uh, yeah, that, that's totally possible to transfer the the raw da- raw image over there to the iPad. So it's it's yeah. really cool. I love the use case. The moms love it too. Like they it's one of the things they always talk about after the shoot was like, I didn't expect that. That was awesome. I loved being able yeah. to see the images. And then I know for sure before we move on from a pose I know that mom is giving, in fact, I have her rate the image that she wants me to be able to process nice. for right there on the iPad. So, okay, just go ahead and hit the star ratings on that so that I know that's the one you want. And it's it's awesome. They love it. It's good workflow. That's very cool. Yeah. like it. Okay. That is all I had on the specs. Some confirmed, some not. Uh, I'm really excited about the prospects of it. Because I'm kind of in the market for getting a camera. I think I may have finally arrived at the point where my camera body may be, may be limiting me a little bit on my image quality. I still can produce phenomenal images. I'm really excited and I'm really glad for the equipment I have. Uh, but I think I want to try getting something newer and maybe some of it's actually more of the peripheral things, like this five gigahertz Wi-Fi. That's a big, re- big deal for me. That's a really sure. big deal for me, and that alone would be something that I would be willing to buy a new camera body for because I've been using that feature so much, and this performance of it being too slow is is actually causing me challenges. So that's a thing I would like to fix, and I would pay money to fix. Um, and and it is there. What do you think, Brent, based on the specs that we've talked about? You're, you've been a Canon guy for a long time. I sure have. Is an R5 <laughs> in your future? There's a pretty good chance of it. And certainly, <laughs> you know, longer term listeners will kind of remember, you know, some ideas I've expressed in the past about how I might switch to Sony. I might do this. And I even tried the Fuji and all that right. other good stuff. And it would be awesome if I could just stay in the Canon camp because that's just where I'm comfortable. Right. And uh, so, so yeah, I currently shoot the 5D Mark IV. I have decided I'm not going to be investing in any more EF lenses or anything like that. Right. So whenever a new lens comes out or whatever, you know, I'm looking for it to be either in the R system or in you know, some other system. And right now I can't say, yes, I'm going to go buy it. But there's definitely... 
with all these video specs, I would hope that those that those stills specs would also be just as awesome. And I'm I'm I remain excited and and so there's a good chance, but yeah, it's it's not going to be a, a purchase right when it's released because I just don't have the money. They made sure to make a very big point at the end of talking about the R5 stuff to say that by no means is this the end of the announcements on the new things that are available in this camera. So I expect good. more <laughs> more really cool stuff on the still side when they have more of a you know a, a, an event or an announcement where they talk more of the still side because this was really a way more focused on movie movie stuff video um what's your price range brent they haven't made a price range at all like not even in this official announcement they announced the prices on like every other piece of equipment they went to in this but they did not announce the price on the r5 which is interesting so tell me what what price range would it have to be in for it to be headed your way to to get super excited, it would have to be less than three thousand. Okay, and I guess the biggest reason on that is when I, when I look at what I want to do with my photography in the future and the like. You know, the video is something that's nice, but I still prefer having a separate camera that would do primarily my videos on. Right, so right. currently, I'm using uh, a sixty four hundred by Sony. Uh, my wife just picked up for a YouTube channel. She's going to end up starting here at some point in time. Um, she picked up uh, an EOS M50, I think it was. Uh-huh. Great little, great little camera for doing those types of vlogging videos. Right. And so I still have a desire for the video to be on a separate unit. Uh, so the, that's where the video specs here. Although when I'm looking at that 4K at 120 frames a second. I can just think of myself, imagining myself at the ocean and then slowing that down to like a quarter speed or so. <laughs> right. And just, you know, as I edit some videos together, just have the crashing waves going so slowly <laughs> through. That would be really awesome. I would love to do something like that, I think. Uh-huh. But uh, 3000 still, I think, is where my price sensitive point would be. Does that mean if it weren't, you know, if it were higher, I wouldn't bite, you know, go for it, you know? I guess it just depends on what the stills specs are. Right. Uh, you know, for a long time, Canon has lagged in that dynamic range, and a lot of people like to hound them for it. It's still highly respectable. It's just not as good as some other models. Right. With this dual pixel capacity or whatever they're calling it to have this HDR coming through, if that is also maximized in the stills and Adobe uh, Camera Raw, you know, Lightroom can actually process that appropriately. There's some really high promise. I mean, that's that that's really exciting for me. It is, yeah, totally is, and so I agree. It, it, it's part of the reason I'm way excited. It's it's the timing of it. It's just happening at a time. I've been using really the same camera for almost eight years because I I mostly shoot my 7D Mark II. We do our our family shoots and and seniors and whatever using the 80D, which is I think we've had it for three years now. So, um, but but that technology really is dated. It's it's pretty old, and and it's been a price point that I liked <laughs> that was palatable for my hobbyist budget. Um, it allowed me to learn a ton about what to do, and allowed me to create really good images. I have lots of clients that just love what we're producing, so that's that's all great. But I think I'm ready to try it a little bigger now. I want to go a little bigger. So for me. If it comes in at 3500 or less, which is, a, I have to like almost gulp as I say that. I know. <laughs> if it comes in at 3500 or less, I'm planning to buy the R5 when it's released. There's also no release date. There was an early rumor a long time ago about July, but I think COVID's really kind of changed that too. Maybe that's why they're a little cagey on the price because... Uh, with COVID, the supply of their materials may be a challenge too. So maybe they they felt like they couldn't commit to a price because uh, they they're hoping there's going to be a large demand for this, and they got to be able to to make sure that they get the the profits and the pricing structure has to work out for the company. And uh, they may not know what it has to be at this point. So if it comes in thirty five hundred or less, you're hearing it right now. I'm planning to buy the camera, the R five. If it's more than that, and I think there's a good chance it'll be more than that. <laughs> uh, I will not, I won't buy that R, the R5. And I'm hoping the R6 then, 
20 megapixels, but hopefully it's the, the newer sensor tech, just a little less pixels, which I'm fine with. I've been shooting smaller pixeled, uh, megapixel cameras for a long time. So that's not an issue, but <clears throat> sorry, if they, if they offer that and it's around, I'm going to say 2000 or less on the R6 and there's a frame rate. The frame rate's kind of one of my critical factors. I shoot sports and I need the frame rate to be able to do that. So I, uh, uh, five to eight uh, frames per second frame rates, just not fast enough, I need faster. And so if it doesn't have that, then I would also skip and not get either one of these um, if that doesn't work. So those are my criteria, 2000 or less on the R6 with a frame rate above 10, well, 10 or above, and uh, 3500 or less for the R5. And, and then I plan to, uh, to finally invest in a new camera and see what that can bring me. So we'll see what happens. What? As a price point comparison, the Sony Alpha A92 is about $4,500 US. Right, right. So Canon probably doesn't have that much pressure to keep it under 4000 too much. Nope. nope. And it's, I, this is a very much a class leading piece of equipment. And I could see it coming in in that neighborhood of 45. I hate to say it, but or 5, I could see it. You know, <laughs> I, I could see it going there. Right, which there's absolutely no way I go there. <laughs> yeah, that will never happen. I will not be spending that much money on a camera. So, okay, uh, so there you go. There's our thoughts on the R5. I'm super excited about it. Maybe more exciting than anything is just what Canon's doing here. How many years have we been talking about Canon lagging behind and not keeping up, especially with Sony, who's been leading the way for so long? And now we have something that's actually compelling and maybe even market leading. We'll see as it comes out with the testing. It could be that 8K just doesn't plain work, it overheats, it, whatever. There could be massive problems with it. We'll have to see as it, as it actually comes out. But spec-wise, it does look like it's market leading and, and really cool as a camera. There's lots, I'm seeing tons of people like, oh my gosh, I thought I could ignore this, but I don't know that I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, a lot can of I say I kept the faith <laughs> that, that they would finally do something like this? Right. I don't know. Yep. Lots of people gave up on them and this, this looks like it may be uh, a change and it's yeah. something good. So I'm way excited about that. Maybe that'll lead to like a, you know, a crop sensor release later that and updates all the technology to this realm. And that will be something I can go to uh, in 2021 or something. So we'll see. We'll that see what could, happens. That could also be exciting. Yes. Yep. It would be very exciting. All right. Uh, I want to mention the photo contest. We just wrapped it up. Just barely ended on the 19th. And uh, we're recording here on the 21st. It's going to be released on the 23rd. So uh, it is over. If you are just hearing about it now, you missed it. But we'll have others in the future. We're so excited. that There are were 248 eight photos entered into the contest. Very, very cool. 110 nice. different people. So lots of people had more than one, which is great. That's what we were hoping for. And um, I know there were some challenges along the way. Lots of comments there in the Flickr group of like, what am I doing wrong? I can't get my image to show up. And it's because it was a manual review process. We wanted to make sure the rules were being followed. And it was just how often I remembered to do it. So, <laughs> so I tried to remember to do it every day, but sometimes I go two or three days and not look. So sorry about that. But we got them all in um, by the end there. And I, it may have impacted some of you where you couldn't have, you didn't submit as many as you wanted to potentially, but I, I hope it, uh, it all worked out in the future. Maybe I'll set a reminder <laughs> to remember yeah. to go do that because I still think it's important that we make, I wanted it to be listeners. And so I didn't want to have like auto approval because then it would, I, it would be hard to figure out, uh, if it was a listener or not. So Bear with us on that. I hope you're okay with that. You can all check it out. I have a link where you can go check out all the photos that were uploaded. There's some really, really fun photos there. People that are very talented. We're so grateful for all you listeners that are just such good photographers for being supportive of each other and uh, and getting out to, to do something while we're all in a little different situation than we're used to. 
we will uh, we'll we'll get together. The group of us will. I don't know if we'll get all together at the same time, but at least we'll have everyone give their feedback on what their top ten images were, and we'll try to work together to whittle it down to what the top ten from the contest were. And I hope we can try to do that for next week, but we'll see. We'll see how the time goes. I know I'm buried enough that it might be a challenge. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it is. Um, but you can expect that soon. We'll we'll make sure to do that, and we'll when we do that top ten episode, we'll also announce those who won the prizes of the random uh, selection of, of people to give those mentoring sessions or, or an editing session to. So stay tuned for that. And let's go to the doodads of the week. Brent, what is your doodad of the week? Well, I chose a piece of software that is free. It's called OBS Studio. And I literally found out about it like a week and a half ago or so. And I'm turning, it turns out that actually so far, I really like it. And what it does is it helps you not only to stream to like Facebook Live, YouTube Live and stuff like that. It gives you that opportunity to connect to those services for doing that. But it allows you also to set up really cool and potentially complex scenes or graphics or overlays or whatever while you're doing your streaming. So it actually looks, it could look kind of like a a television news broadcast or some other thing like that. And there's just so many capabilities there with it that I'm I'm just having a little bit of fun with it. And what I'm thinking about doing now actually is starting to use it for just my regular recordings because I can easily switch between the camera between my the camera that I'm uh, you know recording myself on my face on and the screen capture rather than having to do that switching in post production and spend all that extra time in post production if I could get it done right. You know, as I'm producing it, I could save a whole lot of time as I'm producing videos and then use this tool to flip back and forth between the feed of what I'm recording, either my screen or my face. So lots of um, I think lots of potential options there for getting a little more efficient, but also lots more creativity potentials for just what I'm even producing. So I'm really liking that. Excellent. Yep. I love OBS is really cool as software, especially given that it's free. It definitely has issues, though. I've had lots of problems with it crashing as I'm using it at various moments. It's not like one single act- action causes it to happen every time. Although, uh, screensaver, if you have your screensaver set to require a password on Mac, that crashes it every time for me. If it goes to screensaver and you have to put in your password, boom, o- OBS crashes on Mac. So. Huh. Um, but anyway, it, it, it's really cool. There are definitely lots of challenges in making it happen, especially if you're trying to run all of it from one computer. That's why a lot of folks will, yeah. they'll have an OBS machine, like a whole dedicated machine to running OBS. And then you do inputs um, to be able to get video to it. And another, I don't know if you've heard of this before, Brent, but the ATEM mini switcher. Have you heard of that before? Uh, I've seen the the option for some switchers. Is that the thing that sits on your desk? You just hit a button and it, you can pre-program right, what, right. what it, it's going to. Yeah, yeah so it, it was probably that same one, but I just didn't pay much attention to it. Awesome. I I, re, I It's on my list of stuff that I want to get for the very same reason. I want to be able to produce live stuff and um, in, improve my ability to be able to like create educational content and uh the the atem mini actually probably the atem mini pro they just barely released that plus uh an obs dedicated machine and i there's some massive possibilities there and it's not it it there are there's some expense for sure like a whole machine for this and and the (laughs) atem mini is not free but uh but the costs of that versus what it would have taken 10 years ago to create the same sort of thing live at as you're streaming content would have been right just outrageous and now it's relatively within reach it's still enough that it's probably gonna take me a while to get there but <laughs> especially if i have an r5 i have to buy at the end of the year but <laughs> but uh right but interesting very interesting and, and i've been using it a ton too to and, and to i'm finding i'm really glad i have two screens on connected to my because yeah. i use a, a macbook pro and then i have two 24 inch screens connected to that in my home office and i'm really liking the fact that i have these two screens because uh, you know, one is your production area, whatever you're doing in, in Lightroom, et cetera. And the other one is your OBS area. Right. And so it, 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 it works pretty well. If I needed to, I could just open up the screen and I could have a third screen, uh, on the desktop. And, you know, then I have three potential screens to, to work with. So there's some flexibility with just the one machine, but yeah, I can definitely see 
because of all the processing power that it takes to record all this stuff, I can see the benefit for the other, the additional screen that you would have. Right, right. Or the additional computer, I'm sorry. Right. Yep, very cool stuff. All right, my doodad is going to be the uh, the new YouTube video I just released, and I'm I'm probably going to actually replace it. I think I and I changed some encoding parameters, and I think I can get a little sharper. Anyway, it looks a little bit blurry with the Lightroom screenshots that I had in there, or the screen capture that I did, and I'm going to re-upload the video, which means I have to replace the link. But I'll have the good link in the show notes for you if you're interested. It's how you can improve your import process by ninety percent, like reduce the time it takes to import your photos by 90% by following the embedded preview workflow that Adobe put into Lightroom Classic back in 2017. Uh, Mm. But I think most photographers have no idea how to use it. And there's some specific configuration things you have to do in the import dialog, as well as some specific rules you have to follow, like not going to the develop module too early. Anyway, uh, it's, it's a 30 minute video on step by step, how you go and, and use this workflow explaining like what's going on. And uh, so you can go check that out if you're if you're interested in cutting your import time down by like 90%. So check that out. Sounds good. Okay, we want to remind everyone, masterphotographypodcast.com is the place you can find the show notes. We have the Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. You can go search for that. You do have to ask to join the group. So you have to answer that question about naming a host on the show. Continue to see at least half of the requests coming in, I think, or maybe even more. Don't provide that. We just simply delete the request because that means you're not a listener. If you're a listener, you know a name of a host. That's Brent or Jeff from this episode. And we'll take anyone who's been on in the last few years on the show. So, so uh, you know, it's not a hard question to answer if you're an actual listener. You can check out our Instagram accounts, Master Photography Podcast. We're not producing much content, but we'd love to have you Tag us if uh, if you want to do that on your images so we can kind of see them and share them. Uh, my work is over at jaysharmonphotos.com or my podcast, Photo Taco Podcast. That's where I have uh, episodes about a lot of stuff about Lightroom, uh, Photoshop, and technical things with photography. That I break it down and try to make it easy to understand. That's what the YouTube channel is as well as my Photo Taco Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. I have those links in the show notes. Brent, where can people find you? Well, the probably one of the best places to find me is just my main website. That's just my name, brentbergherm.com. I have everything that kind of launches you out uh, from there, but certainly we've got the Latitude Photography Podcast.com is the show notes for that uh, podcast as well. And then you can find me on Facebook, and we've got the Latitude Facebook group. I'm on Instagram at Brent Bergherm, YouTube channel, Brent Bergherm Photography. And that pretty much is it. It's exhausting. It's a lot. <laughs> but but we're, lot we're there in, in a lot of places. Right. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone. We, we appreciate all of you listening so much. We were so glad that you participated in the photo contest. We love to have that participation increase. There's so many of you listening, and, and we didn't have that many of you go and participate. So I hope you'll do that in the future. Consider doing that in the future. And uh, we'll see you all again in another seven days. 